Thanks. You can have a seat. My name is Bobby. I'm one of the pastors here. Thank you so much for worshiping with us this morning. Uh, If you are new, if you're visiting, we have been looking on Sunday mornings in our scripture time uh, about the topic of how we change, how we change as people, how God transforms us from who we are now into the context of when he has created us to be. And we're doing that in the context of a, of a bigger focus, a bigger series that we've been talking about here on Sunday mornings, but that we're also talking about and diving into more uh, in our missional community groups, in our discipleship groups, and that is practicing the way of Jesus. What does it mean for us to be followers of Jesus Christ in this moment? in this cultural moment, in the time that we live in, in this space that we live in, in the life that we have, the life that God has given us. And over the last month or so, as we've talked about how we change, we've talked about how, particularly in the means of change, the means of how God changes us. We've looked at God's power and his presence with us and in us by means of his spirit living with us and in us. We've talked about that God changes us through community, that the people that God has created us to be, he's created us to be together, that we are not on an island, that we are not just individuals in a kind of a me and Jesus relationship, and that's all that matters, that God uses our community and our relational connectivity with each other to change us and mold us and to shape us. We've talked about how God uses sacrifice and suffering to change us, that like the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 3, that I may know him, that I may share in his suffering, that knowing Jesus, being transformed by Jesus is directly linked to our suffering, that God is there in our suffering, that God uses our suffering to mold us and to shape us and to form us more and more into his likeness. We've talked about last week that there are moments and seasons in our lives that God kind of jerks us awake out of spiritual lethargy, out of spiritual slumber, that there are seasons and times in our lives because of choices that we've made and just because of the way life is for us that we can slip into this kind of innocuous just being. You know, that we're just, we're reacting to life. We're just sliding through. And that God, through his spirit, through different circumstances, through relationships, wakes us up to see that there is more. There is more to knowing him. There is more to living with him. And that we need to live vigilant and awake, aware of what God is doing in the world around us in our lives as well. And so that's kind of how we've talked about the how in terms of means. And this morning, as we kind of finish up this little mini-series here, we're going to talk about the how in terms of scope. And the big idea, how does God change us in terms of scope? And the big idea that I want to leave you with this morning is this, that every dimension of our person, what makes us us, God desires to grow us and to transform us into a greater affection for and allegiance to Jesus Christ. 
that every dimension of who we are, what makes you, you, what makes me, me, the way that God has made us, his plan and his desire is to transform us into a greater and greater desire and affection for and allegiance to Jesus Christ. And so before we dive into our scripture this morning, let me pray for us. God, we are thankful as we just sang that you chase after us, that when we go astray, that when we slip into times of just sleep and lethargy and laziness, that when life beats us up and we are discouraged and we are tired and we are just wore out, that you don't take a hands-off approach, that you step into our time and our space and our lives. And you chase after us. You knock down walls and barriers. You love us and you keep on loving us. So I pray this morning as we talk about loving you and worshiping you with all of who we are, that we would see that we are able to do that because you first loved us. And so I pray that you would open your word to us this morning. Give us ears to hear. Give us eyes to see. Give us soft hearts that you would speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Before we get into the passage that we're going to spend most of our time in this morning, I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 22 first. Matthew chapter 22. And if you're using one of the Bibles around you, you'll find that on page 483. 483. And feel free to take that Bible with you if you'd like to have a hard copy if you don't have one at home. Matthew chapter 22, and we're going to step into a circumstance, a situation, an interaction that Jesus had with uh, one of two groups of religious leaders in his day who were constantly trying to trick him, test him, uh, uh, I guess expose him to be the fraud that they thought he was. And so in Matthew, called the fair, Matthew retells this interaction that Jesus has with these religious leaders called the Pharisees, starting in verse 34 of Matthew 22. But when the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the other group that were trying to to take advantage of him or trying to catch him in, in a lie, They gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So this lawyer, this this expert in the law, comes to test Jesus. And he's testing Jesus to kind of see, is Jesus the real deal? People call him a teacher. They call him a rabbi. People are, are following him and looking to him for answers and for truth. And so he comes to test him with this question, which is the great commandment? What's the greatest commandment? 
The Pharisees were these lawyers, these experts in the Mosaic law, the Old Testament law. When you read, you know, the books of, of Exodus and, and, and Leviticus and these, these laws, these commands that God gave his people Israel, this, this lawyer, these Pharisees, they looked at this law and they pulled out of this law 613 different commands. So they, they looked at the scriptures, they looked at what God had said, 613 different commands. Now they knew that people couldn't follow all of these commands. So to help, they divided them up into what they called heavy and light commands. And the light commands were the things that I guess they felt like weren't as big of a deal. You know, things that you didn't have to necessarily follow with all of who you are. But the heavy ones, on, on the contrary, they were the real deal. They were the important ones. And if you were going to be serious about following God and being God's people, you had to obey and follow these heavy commands. And so this teacher of the law, this expert lawyer, comes to Jesus. And essentially what he's asking Jesus is Jesus out of these heavy commands, which one is the heaviest? Out of the heavy commands, which one is the heaviness, the heaviest? And Jesus responds by quoting one of the most revered passages for God's people, Deuteronomy chapter 6. And that's where I want you to turn. That's where we're going to spend the most of our time here this morning. Deuteronomy chapter 6. You'll find that on page 87 if you're using one of the Bibles around you. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5. And it reads this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. And with all your might. Every morning when God's people would wake up. And every evening before they would go to bed. They would pray these words. The Lord our God. The Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God. With all of your heart. With all of your soul and with all of your might. This was the essential truth, probably the most singular truth that God wanted his people to get. Yahweh, the personal name for God here, is your God. Yahweh is your God, and your God is one. God is your God. And your God is one. Next week, we are going to kind of wrap up our change series by talking about the enemies of change. And we're going to look at the other gods that the Bible makes reference to and the authority that they have given by Yahweh, the one true God. But this right here, this is what God wanted them to know. This is what God wanted that to dictate all of who they are, their whole life, their identity. As a people, there is one God, and that one God is worthy of worship, worthy of your worship. And this prayer is known as the Shema, which is the Hebrew word for hear. 
that first word there in verse 4. It, is, it means to listen, to hear. But it's not just to take in and to listen to what someone is saying. What it actually means here is listen to and do this. Listening that in this biblical sense that required effort, that, that produced action. You weren't just hearing words, but you were taking it in and it was changing the way that you lived. It produced a response. But the key here I want you to see is that loving the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might is based in verse 4. Because our God is one. Because our God exists in perfect unity. God's desire is that his people in every dimension of who we are exist in unity under God's rule and reign. Because God is perfect, because God is completely whole, he desires wholeness for us as individuals. And we talked about this when we went through our Sermon on the Mount series, you know, last year, uh, coming into the beginning of this year, this idea of whole person righteousness, that we are complex individuals. You know, we have a mind, we have emotions, we have a will, we have a body, we have relational capacity. But sometimes I think it's really easy for us to compartmentalize our relationship with God. We tend to think that God only cares or he cares more about some aspects of who we are than others. And that is just not the way the Bible talks. That's not the truth that the Bible presents to us. It presents to us that God created us to be whole people not fragmented, that we are to know and to experience God in all of who we are. Everything that makes you, you, God created for himself. Everything that makes me, me, I was designed by God to experience him in and to know him in. And this prayer, the reason that God said, pray this, pray this when you wake up, pray this when you go to sleep, put this on, on, on uh, you know, your doorpost. Put it on your mirror in the morning when you get up. Put it in your, on the dashboard of your car when you're driving. In everything that you are, pray this prayer. Everything that you do, pray this prayer is because we need, as God's people did thousands of years ago, to be reminded that God is God. And our love for him isn't limited only to a few areas of who we are, but It is for all of who we are. We are to love God with all of who we are. And what I want to do over the next few minutes, I want to kind of nerd out on you a little bit. And I want to go through this prayer, and I want to give you a little bit of a word study in in some of these key words here. And the reason I want to do this is I want you to see how the Bible talks about you. I want you to see how the Bible talks about what it means to really, really love God. And the first word I want to look at is that word heart. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. The Jewish people did not have a concept for the human brain. They didn't even have a word for it in Hebrew. Because when they looked at the human, they knew that the heart was an organ. They knew the heart was a physical organ. 
But they talked about the human heart like this. It was the physical source of life, but it was also where we make sense of life. And that's why you'll read over and over and over again in the Old Testament and into the New Testament that we know things in our hearts, that wisdom comes from our heart, that we discern life and relationships and choices and decisions from our heart, that we feel emotion in our hearts, that we feel joy and fear and pain. And actually, you know how we talk about having a broken heart. We get that from this, the Hebrew, this idea that we feel in our hearts and our hearts can break. We make choices and we make decisions in our lives that are motivated by the desires of our heart. Have you heard these phrases? Have you read scripture like that? The Bible talks about, the writers of the scripture talk about our heart, not only as the physical source of life, but something deeper, something that encompasses kind of, uh, I guess in our terminology, our inner person. You know, it's the thing that drives us. And that's why in Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9, the prophet Jeremiah says that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Because when the prophets looked at a person's life, when they looked at the life of God's people in action and in deed, the, the worshiping of idols, the injustices that they were allowing to happen and perpetrating on people who were vulnerable, the aligning of their, 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 their safety and security with other wicked kings from other countries instead of God, they looked at those deeds and they looked at those actions and their conclusion was, it's not just about what these people are doing. It's who they are. Their heart is wicked. Their heart has turned away from God. And the only hope that the biblical writers knew, the only hope that they had was that the heart would be totally renewed by God. There was a need for renewal. There was a need for transformation in the heart. That's why God told Moses in Deuteronomy 12, he uses that phrase, a circumcision of the heart. That that just like physical circumcision was to mark someone physically in the Old Testament as a person of God, as one of God's chosen people, that the heart also needed to be marked and shaped and transformed by God. David, in Psalm 51, his psalm of repentance, he cries out to God, create in me a clean what? A clean heart. God told Ezekiel in Ezekiel 32 that he was going to one day give his people a heart of flesh instead of a heart of stone, that he would give them a new heart to follow him and to receive his ways. And Jeremiah, God told Jeremiah in Jeremiah 31 that he would write his law, his righteousness on his people's hearts. So when we think of the heart, when we think of our inner person, we think of our thoughts and our feelings and our choices. 
To love the Lord our God with all our heart means that we are being transformed, that we are being changed by God, that what God defines as true and good is what we define as true and good. What God says we should feel anger towards and and feel uh, uh, outrage towards when we see injustice, that that's how we feel, that that's how we react, that when we look at decisions and choices that we have to make in our lives as, you know, what job to take and, and, and where to live and who to marry and, and, and how to spend our money and our time, that all of these things that comprise kind of this inner world that we live in, that that is transformed and shaped by God, that we have a new lens, that we now see ourselves, that we see this world through the lens of God himself. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and next, with all your soul. The Hebrew word for soul here is nefesh, and it's used over 700 times throughout the Old Testament, and it literally means throat. So in Hebrew, it's love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your throat. With all your throat. And if you are a uh, grammar person, you will know that this is what we call a synecdoche, which is a fancy word for a part of speech that where we use a part to represent a whole. We do this a lot, you know. We have people here on Sunday mornings that take attendance to let us know how many people we have. What do we call that? A head count. Now, are we literally counting someone's head? No. We use that phrase, a head count, to represent how many actual what? People are here. How many persons are here? It's the same thing like if you were to talk about your car and say, you know, my wheels. You know, it's like, well, it's not just four wheels. It's an entire car. But it's, so, it's just a figure of speech that we use a part to represent the whole. And that's what the writers of Scripture were using when they used this word, nefesh. Because they, it means throat. Because where does the life of the body come in and out of? Your throat, your neck. You breathe in and out through it. You Eat food. You take water in through your throat. Breath, food, water. In Genesis, uh, the story of Jacob taking his family to Egypt when there was a famine, remember? And the Bible uses the word nefesh here for when Jacob takes his sons and his daughters to Egypt that there were actually 33 nefeshes, 33 persons In the book of Numbers, a murderer is called a nefesh slayer. A kidnapper is called a nefesh thief. Nefesh is used, is is a biblical word used for people or person. But it's also used in a more personal way. Did you know that God refers to himself as having a soul? In Isaiah 1, God says, My soul, my nefesh, hates your religious festivals, hates your empty religious practices. God uses the word nefesh as a word for me. He could have used the Hebrew word for I, but instead he uses over and over again the word nefesh 
and we translate that our whole being, our soul, our whole person. Let me give you another example. You know that famous line in Psalm 42 where David prays, As the deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my nefesh for you, O God. My nefesh thirsts for the living God. David does what the writers of Scripture do over and over again. They use the word nefesh in its double meaning. What part of the body gets thirsty? Our throats. Our throats get thirsty. We feel that in our throat. And so our throat needs water. The same, David saying, is that just as my body, my physical existence needs water, my body and my soul needs God. I thirst for God who gave me life. And so what the Bible is saying, what God is saying here when he says, love the Lord your God with all your soul, it means I love the Lord with all of my being, all of my physical existence, all of whom I, who I am, I love God. And I think sometimes this is hard for us to grasp because we're so influenced by this thought that, that the soul, our soul is eternal. It, it, it is the non-physical part of us that will be released when our body dies. That that, that is what really matters ab about us is our soul. But the Bible presents it in a completely different way. That our soul is living breathing, physical existence, our entire person, both the inner person and the outer person. If you think about it, and we talk about this over and over and over again on Sunday morning, that the trajectory of the story of Scripture is what? That we are becoming resurrected people living in a new creation. That's like the end of the story, right? That we, you and me, who believe and follow Jesus Christ, that we will become new people living in a new creation. That's the end. That's where we're going. That's the trajectory of this story and our existence. And if you actually read the scriptures, what you will see is that the Bible rarely speaks of life after death before the new creation. We often talk about heaven and where we go after we die, and the Bible does speak to that, but it speaks way more to the fact that we are going to live as new people with new bodies in a new world for the rest of eternity. Remember, when God created Adam, a living, breathing, physical person, what did he say? It's good. That body, that person that I made is good. And so even though our bodies have been tainted by sin, even though our bodies feel day in and day out the effects of death, they are good to God. And they need to be redeemed. You and I don't have souls. We are souls. That's what the Bible says about us. We don't just have a soul. We are a soul that all of us matters inside and out. What we say is, quote, unquote, spiritual and what we see as physical. It's all a soul. We are a soul. And the Bible says that all of us matters to God and that we are to love God, worship God, be faithful to God 
in all of who we are, both inside and out. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and then lastly, with all of your strength. The Hebrew word here, me'od, actually doesn't mean strength or might, as in like muscle power. It's an adverb. It intensifies the verb, and it means very much, very, very much. And so what the Lord is saying here is love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your muchness, with all your muchness. That sounds weird to us, but here's what that means. With everything that you have, with everything that you are, and everywhere your life touches, love the Lord your God. There is an opportunity here given to us by God to love him in limitless ways. In limitless ways. In ways that involve my body. In ways that involve what's going on inside of me. In ways that involve the people and the places that I interact with. Love the Lord your God with everything that you are everything that you have in every place your life touches. So what does it mean for us then to love? What does it mean for us to truly love God in all of who we are? The Hebrew word here for love is ahava, and it means brotherly love, parental love, physical, affectionate love, loyal, allegiant love. The, 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 the Hebrews had multiple words that they used for love. And this is love kind of in a general sense. It, 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 it encompasses uh, both an affection and an allegiance. Jeremiah 31.3, God says, I have ahavad you with an everlasting ahava. What is God saying? I have loved you. I have an affection affectionate love for you that has resulted in the way that I treat you. Out of my deep affection for you, I treat you with love. Over and over again, we see that God's love just is. It, it doesn't have a beginning. It doesn't have an end. It is who he is. And it's not just a duty that God has to love us, but it's a genuine affection that he has for us. I mean, over and over again, we see God pictured as a parent, as a parent who loves his children. We see in the Song of Songs, this, this, uh, this, this love poem, this love poem written from a man to a woman, from a woman to a man, this, this affectionate love that they have for each other. And it's also a picture of, of how God loves us, that there is affection that God has for us that is, that is the, the, the driver of his choice and his actions towards us, that God feels love and it moves him into action both now to love. And the people of God, both then and both now, are commanded to respond to God's ahava, God's love for them with love for him. In Deuteronomy chapter 10, 
verses 12 and 13. Will you turn there with me? Deuteronomy chapter 10, verses 12 and 13. Moses has been up with God on the mountain receiving this new law from God. And he comes down and what does he find? That in the brief time he was away, the people had turned. The people had gotten bored. The people, had their affections had moved somewhere else. They had created this golden calf to worship, to represent the God that they really wanted. Because they didn't know about this God that Moses was talking to. So Moses comes down and he finds this. And he tells them, this is what the Lord says in verse 12. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God? To walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. And to keep the commandments and the statutes of the Lord, which I am commanding you today for your good. For your good. To fear the Lord. To walk with the Lord. To serve the Lord. To keep the commandments of the Lord. That I fear the Lord. That I recognize that he is God and that I am not. That he has authority and I do not. That he is the one who defines what is good and what is true and I don't. To walk with the way. That at every area of my life I walk with him along the way. That he guides me. That he leads me. To serve him. That I give myself, my whole self, my whole person to him. To be used by him. And to keep him. His word, to obey him, to know that what he says is true, and to know that what he says is for our good. In the Old Testament, if you read through the book of Deuteronomy, if you, if you go back to the book of Exodus and you go through all the laws that God gave his people, you will see, and this is what Jesus was referring to, that love for God is shown by how I love other people. I love God. I can say I love God, but the test for that is how do I also love other people? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. This is the greatest commandment, and a second is just like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. As God has shown me love, I love. As God has poured out his ahava on me, I love and I treat others with that same affection, with that same sense of love and compassion and kindness and commitment. 1 John chapter 4, verse 19, John says, we love because God first loved us. And he goes on in verse 21 to say, whoever loves God, must also love his brother. Those are connected and they are never, ever, ever separated. And so what we see in this passage is this. We aren't just spirits who love God in our inner being. 
And we aren't just bodies who love God in our outer beings. We were made to be whole. We were made to be whole. That our mind, that our emotions, that the choices that we make in our bodies, in the relationships that we have with other people, that this isn't some just kind of psychological approach to the scriptures. This isn't like a discipleship curriculum that we're talking about here. This is what we were created for because God is whole, because God is one. God wants all of us in every part, every dimension of who we are to experience that same oneness and that's for us to practice the way of Jesus together. And that's what it means for us to practice the way of Jesus, to follow Jesus, that we, that we see what we were created for, that we are being changed in our head, that we are being changed in our hearts, that we are being changed in our hands, that what we think about, what we feel and desire, and what we do are all being brought in alignment under God's rule and reign. And that's what we mean when we talk about living life with God, under God's rule. At the beginning of this coming year, we're going to start diving in to some of the practices themselves. Ways and means that God has given us as people, complex people, to bring all of these dimensions of our life under his control, to know his love, to experience his love, to know him, to share in life with him in every part of who we are. All of who we are needs to be redeemed. But here's the hope. Here's the hope. It's already happening. It's already happening. I mentioned that trajectory that we are on this trajectory, that we are moving forward with the hope that one day we will be fully new people with a body, fully new people with a body, living in a new creation, a real world that God has made, just like he made this world, to be perfect, to reflect him, to live in perfect unity and harmony with him. That's where we're headed. But the hope that we have today is that God has already started that work, that God has already begun that work in you and in me who follow him to redeem us, to move us in that direction. It's not just wait and see, wait and experience. It's begin to experience it now. Begin to experience the, the unity and the, the, the alignment with God now, the, the harmony of seeing God and experiencing God in every dimension of our lives. And Jesus' death, Jesus' resurrection from the dead secured that future hope for us. And it also secured the hope that we have now that he who began a good work in us will continue that work until we see him face to face and we experience life with him for the rest of eternity as new people in a new creation. 
And so as we community groups, as we Sunday after Sunday, as we get together in our missional community group, as we form relationships with each other, we do it with that hope. We do it knowing that we aren't just flat, one-dimensional people, but that we're complex. And that complexity is hard to deal with sometimes. That complexity rubs us the wrong way. That complexity makes us confused sometimes about who we even are, who other people are. It creates conflict. It can create division. There's all sorts of things that we experience because in our complexity, we experience sin. It has been tainted by the fall. But when we get together on Sundays, missional community, discipleship groups, form relationships, as we interact with our community and we bring light into dark places, we realize that God is working, that God is transforming, that God is changing us. And he says, come be a part of this. Like, this is not just something that we just kind of lay, put our Bible under our pillow at night and hope by osmosis that everything gets into our head and that that's how it's going to work. God says, come and be a part of this transformation that I'm doing in your life and do it together. Be about it together. And so I want to encourage you this morning, if you're not plugged into a deeper community, you need that. You need that. And That may not be here. That may not be here. But you need it somewhere. You need people to help you along the way. We cannot do this on our own. And so I want to invite you this morning, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, if you have put your faith in Jesus' death and resurrection to make you right with God, to come and to take communion this morning, to take a piece of bread and to dip it in the juice, remembering Jesus' life and his death and his resurrection, that that secured for us the hope that we look forward to, that one day we will be new people in a new creation and we will experience fully everything God made us to be and to live and to experience. If you're not a Christian, just stay in your seat. There's, there's no magic in this. This is just simply a symbol. This is a symbol of something that we believe, that we live into. But we would love to talk with you more about that and to talk about and to, to help you see what life with God under the rule of God really means. But as part of a community, take this communion not only as an individual, but as part of a community that is being transformed and changed by the grace of God. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you. Thank you that you... are a God who sees us and you're a God who knows us. Thank you that even as inspirational as words like these can be, to see a vision for who we have been created to be, that what you 
want to do in our lives, that you also see the reality that we live in every single day, that this is hard, that we're fighting against ourselves, we're fighting against our culture, we're fighting against spiritual forces that we don't see. And so I pray for us this morning that as we continue to grow together as a community, that you would give us perseverance and hope to know that even as we look at ourselves, as we look at this community of people not being what we want ourselves and we want it to be, that there is hope that you are at work, that you are transforming us, that you are changing us, and that as we begin through our choices and our practices to align ourselves with you, that you will allow us to experience the wholeness and the fullness and the oneness of all the different parts of us that make us us. You will, be, you will allow us to experience that partly in the now, what we will know in full for the rest of eternity. I pray as I do most every Sunday that as you are transforming us, that you would make us a transforming presence in our community. I pray that as people see us as flawed and broken and imperfect people, that they would also experience the grace and the mercy that we are experiencing through you. And that as they live with us, as they work with us, as their kids go to school with our kids, as they play sports as we interact and our neighbors together that people could say, I know what God is like because I know them. Thank you that you will never stop, that you will never quit. We thank you for that hope in Jesus' name.